The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and I'm your host today. I, I think we have a very exciting show, one of which um, many people, I'm sure, is going to be able to identify with, um, myself included. Our guest today is Lisa Sue Woltitz, who is the co-author of Unwelcome Inheritance, Break Your Family Cycle of Addictive Behaviors. Um, Lisa Sue has been the managing uh, has managed Dr. Wallet's Institute for Counseling and Training for a number of years and has worked in the mental health and substance abuse and criminal justice fields. Um, she is uh, the daughter of Janet Woltis, who some of you may be uh, old enough to remember when Adult Children of Alcoholics was first published. I was, uh, I was a young uh, professional at the time and an adult child of an alcoholic that really didn't understand it till I read Janet's book. So, uh, Lisa, it's wonderful to have you, and um, thank you for agreeing to spend this hour with us. Thanks for having me. Very happy to be here. I guess we'll start in the beginning for our audience, because I'm sure there's a variety of folks listening, in terms of uh, what is an adult child of an alcoholic? How, how do you define that? Well, uh, um, it's, uh, my, my mom actually defined it uh, as people who grew up the way we did in in a home with one or more parents or caretakers with an addiction problem. And what happened to us is that because of the situation that we were growing up in, we had a, a lot of adult responsibilities and adult concerns at a very young age. However, as adults, because we didn't have the parenting that we needed going through those years, here we are as adults lacking a lot of life skills or what my mom would call a database as to how to live as an adult with these, uh, you know, handling these daily challenges and rites of passage and, and raising our own kids. So that's what she called an adult, an adult child. And uh, her, her point of view um, or her observations really came from the fact that she was watching her own kids grow up and having this feeling that, you know, this isn't something kids grow out of. It's something that they grow up with. And because there really wasn't help available, she kind of created the help. And as she was earning her graduate degrees, she decided to study the subject of children of alcoholics and what happened to them as an adult. And the whole thing just sort of burst open. Adult Children of Alcoholics came out in 1983, 
and strictly by word of mouth without any advertising at all, by 1987, um, it was on the New York Times bestseller list for a part of a, uh, the larger part of a year and has just continued. So the numbers of people affected by this problem have certainly grown over the years. And my mom actually passed away in 94, uh, and the numbers are continuing to grow. So anyway, that's, that's how a, a, the whole phrase adult children and the, the movement began. Um, you know, I, I can remember reading the book for myself. I was I was working in a 28-day rehab at the time, and it was like every page was, was like an aha moment for me. It explained so much of what I experienced that I didn't really even realize was abnormal until I started to um, leave my family, go to nursing school, and say, wow, now every family is like mine. You know, that... That was one of the things that I loved so much about my mom is her ability to just pick up. You know, she was just so incredibly perceptive and had this gift of being able to connect with people right away. And what she did in part of her research was to um, have groups of adult children meeting together to learn about each other. And it was actually through the first group of adult children of alcoholics who met in the living room of the house I grew up in um, that met together and came up with the list of characteristics that they felt described them. Uh, and and that's, that's where it all came from. So, uh, and what you just said is what so many people said, which was, now it has a name. Now I know what to call it. Now it's not just in my head. They just had a way of explaining their experience, which um, which was very hard. It's hard when there's no language to articulate something that's going on with us. And so that was that was her her contribution to the world was to be able to explain help help people explain what had happened to them in this first group. Of, of people that met in my home um, were very excited to be able to be a part of that because the learning was for everybody. Pretty exciting. And oh. as a kid, I was pretty young then, and so as a kid, I was supposed to be, you know, upstairs sleeping, doing my homework, but I just <laughs> couldn't help but eavesdrop. So, Did you have any idea of the historical importance of what you were witnessing at the time? I had no idea at all. I know that, you know, I grew up in an alcoholic household. My dad was a very, very high-functioning, but very low-bottom, pretty violent alcoholic. And he uh, went into treatment when I was about eight years old. And even at that point, it took a long time for things to change. And all I knew was that, you know, my family was... You know, we had a lot of secrets and that I was very embarrassed and very ashamed. And I knew that we all had our groups that we went to and that, and then my parents got divorced and my mom was just working very hard. I just knew her as a really hardworking mom who was trying to pay the bills and she was doing research and I would help her. I would give out surveys and I would do typing for her and, um, it wasn't until I, you know, as the movement grew, I was growing up too. And 
you know, then there came that point where, wow, you know, everybody's talking uh, about the books and there are all these groups and, and now trainings for professionals to specialize in this area. And then, of course, there was Oprah and it just got bigger and bigger. So um, that was when I realized not just, it, it wasn't just that, uh, you know, my mom hit, had hit a nerve. It was that the numbers of people that were coming forward for help was just unbelievable. And and I think it's pretty clear it, it, to, to most people that are uh, involved in uh, either the self-help part of it or the helping part of it that the numbers are just continuing to grow. So now I now I know and now I've I have finally found uh, a place where I feel that I can continue the message where she left off. And that's a gift to all of us. You know, um, one of the things, I, I, I know you've worked in mental health, but I, I think that these characteristics transfer to, to children who grow up with parents who were significantly mentally ill or were unavailable due to medical reasons, be it cancer or to, or um, severe diabetes or whatever, that I think... I think that these characteristics can be expanded upon. Um, what do you think? I, we, we found that very early on. We found that people from all sorts of backgrounds, um, whether it was mental health issues like you mentioned or um, all sorts of addictive behaviors, whether it was gambling or even religion. We had military families that related. So it's, it is a common experience. It really is. And I hope that, um, I hope that people know that, that a lot of the help that is available now can help a lot of different people. But we, we did, we found out about that very, very early on. I can remember I was doing, I was an outpatient counselor um, in our local community and I was treating a woman. She had come in for depression and she'd been to a number of different treatment providers and she wasn't responding to medication and she, um, she was pretty discouraged and, and she had absolutely no history of substance abuse or use, which I thought, wow, that's strange. And then as I started to talk with her, just out of nowhere, I said to her, are you an adult child of an alcoholic? And she looked at me and she said, well, yes, I am. And everything that she was experiencing got characterized as pathological and, and depression. When, when you look at it from somebody who was um, a survivor of that childhood, and you look at it from that frame of reference, we were able to work with her and she could feel empowered and understand why the thoughts she were she was having, where they came from, and it was just such an aha moment. But um, it's it's amazing when that's great how you can recover from from these childhood experiences. Well, and we, one thing that you made, you made me think of a couple of things. One is that when you grow up in that kind of environment, it, everything is so serious. And we get used to just being in that very intense frame of mind always. And I, I have learned to remind myself that the glass is half full. It's not half empty. Um, you know, to just break out of that, um, that habit. 
And there's also, of course, the body chemistry part of it, which a lot of us have to address because even though, say, for example, um, you know, even alcoholism doesn't always manifest itself with alcohol. For example, as a very, very little girl, I was a full-blown sugar addict. And I have, I have the body chemistry of an alcoholic, and I look at these two things as the same because alcoholism is in part the body's inability to metabolize sugar properly. And so as a child, my way of um, numbing out was to use sugar, and, um, which ends up in depression just the same way as when you use another substance. There's that, um, there's that momentary relief and that momentary high, but then there's the crash afterwards. And the more you use, the more you end up crashing. So there's all of that together. There's the, the, point, the, the lens on the world that we have, which is just very serious and always on eggshells, never knowing when the next catastrophe is going to happen. And there's also the body chemistry, which tends toward depression and mental health and addiction problems. So it's a kind of a kind of a large large bag to carry around. And we'll be right back after this commercial break. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Biohacking for Health is working with your individual biology to gain access to and control over the systems within your body. It allows you to explore your biology and improve health and wellness. Each of us has unique genetic profiles and physiology that require individualized approaches. On Biohacking for Optimal Health, Dr. Daniel Stickler and his expert guests provide a roadmap to navigate the world of biohacking human potential. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with hosts Nancy Kerala and Dr. Chandrabali Ghosh. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and the founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. And Dr. Ghosh is the chairperson of research and development for the C. diff Foundation. Together with their guests, we'll explore infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour of Time. This is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Lisa Sue Waltitz, who is the welcome of unwelcome inherent inheritance. Uh, break your family cycle of addicted behaviors. Uh, we, before we went to break, we were talking a little bit about um, how this is a role that people have in their families being an adult child, and I know that you know with with alcohol and and substance use disorders and, and mental illness. There's a lot of shame that gets associated with with this. And as an adult child, um, that shame kind of you. I don't know whether you embrace it or whether it just lands on you because of the. the there's just so much of it. But um, for some people, identifying themselves as an adult child of an alcoholic can be um, a very shameful experience. Can you address that? Well, for me, I felt very ashamed because of what was going on in my home. And I would go to the homes of other kids, and they had what seemed to me like a happy family. They sat around the table and had dinner together. They went on vacations. They laughed. They had an extended family. And I would always compare, and I would dread anybody coming to my house you know, where the dishes were flying and the police were knocking on the door. And so that's really, uh, that's very stressful and, and very embarrassing. And in those early years, that's, that's where we get a lot of our wiring from. Um, so I, I think it has a lot to do with secrets. And I know that my mom used to say, you know, that guilt is about what we did and shame is about who we are. And I, I feel that a lot of us are just so uncomfortable in our own skin um, and that that comes from shame. Um, but it doesn't have to be. There's, there's recovery for everybody. And when we finally find something that works for us, that speaks to us, um, I'm, I'm happy to say that I feel that that can dissolve as we become the people that we're meant to be. When we were, uh, when everyone else was listening to commercial, uh, Lisa and I were talking, and you had mentioned during the break that um, you had, and your mom had never characterized that this was going to be somebody's identity long term. That this was. Right. Uh, a short-term exactly. recovery. Exactly. Well, like I mentioned before, uh, my mom talked a lot about this lack of a database that we have. We just haven't had that teaching from our parents um, that people from more healthy, you know, healthier families have. And so a lot of what we did at the Institute was to educate. And that's a lot of what our groups were about. We wanted to um, facilitate groups where people could learn about themselves, learn about what their experience was, and learn what to do differently, how to do the things that we were never taught, 
whether it was learning how to relate to each other or express anger in a healthy way or do laundry, whatever those things were. And then to take that education and go back out into the, the world and to our families and, um, and have a healthier experience going forward. And what we saw happening a lot was, and, and this is where my mom left off when she became too sick to address her concerns. She felt that as these other ACOA groups were popping up, um, that were not affiliated with what we were doing, that people were beginning to get stuck in this place of their recovery where they were not moving forward, that there was this sort of um, comfortable place of blame or this comfortable way of relating to others around uh, our level of pain. And our intention was to to move forward. And so one thing that we want people to understand is that being the child of an alcoholic or an addict or a child of whatever your experience was, it's part of our history, but it's not a disease. It's not like alcoholism, which can be arrested and not cured. And so an alcoholic, you know, needs to maintain their, um, the attention that they give to their disease because they are working to prevent relapse. And I have heard in ACOA meetings, I have heard these terms used, um, re- I've heard the term relapse used, and, and that I relate to it in the sense that sometimes old behaviors crop up, but it's not the same as relapse into a disease. So we were really concerned at the fact that the groups that did not terminate um, were, in a way, perpetuating um, the brokenness of the family. And we wanted to encourage people to maintain, maintain great friendships with the new people in the group. That's always wonderful to have wonderful new friends in our lives, but not to replace our families of origin with the people in the group unless we were in an unfortunate situation where um, we did not have families or our families were just too broken in cases of extreme abuse or sexual abuse, you know, certain situations like that. But overall, our intention was that um, that recovery would help the whole family get back together. So I know that was a long explanation, but I hope it made sense. It it makes total sense, and yet this is the first time I've ever heard that. Yeah. And and I don't think it's a popular thing to say, um, and I don't mean to uh, insult anybody or, you know, that's not my intention. I'm just explaining where we were coming from, and I've tried to address that by writing about how to go back to our families and do our very best to heal those relationships because that's our legacy. For example, um, you know, if I told you all the things that my father did when I was growing up and I said to you, you know, I'm never speaking to him again. This is what he did, and it's just unforgivable. And you would probably validate me and say, you know, you go, girl, because those things are all true. However, um, 
there's the possibility that my father's not the same person he used to be. In fact, he's not. He's 40 years, over 40 years into his own recovery. And the fact that I have been open to the fact of him changing and us having um, an improved relationship has opened up the whole world for my family, my whole family. My children can have a grandfather. I have the father that I always wanted. And, and that doesn't mean perfect. That just means, for me, I have a father that knows that I love him and he loves me and, and um, he's somebody that I can count on. Um, but by no, by no means, it's not perfect. But I've, it would have been very easy for me to just slam that door. And I'm just proposing to take a look, just encouraging people to let go of all of the, the fear and anxiety and the resentment to see what the possibilities are. And even if things can't be perfect, since we're healthier and we're coming from a healthier place, chances are that even though the relationships might not be what we always dreamed of, we'll be able to get something out of them and maybe have these relationships on more on our terms than we did before. And the possibility to heal, which is yeah. important for everyone, especially the individual. You know, when I, I re, I'm trying to remember when I first read uh, uh, the book, and I, what what struck me in reading the book was it was about how successful adult children of alcoholics tend to be, and how resilient they are and adaptable in so many ways because of of all the different things they had to react to growing up. And somehow that resilience and success got lost and the healing got lost in the, in the yeah. kind of the, the pain and suffering that people experienced. And, I, and this is probably, let me, I'll apologize before I say it, but let's say it anyway. Before everybody regurgitates their trauma over and over and over again, that to me has never been... Um, effective in helping people move forward or helping people claim their success. Yes, and and the level of resentment, especially since I started speaking about unwelcome inheritance, um, what one of the things that I'm getting back, and I love feedback, and um, and it really helps me to think about. Um, how you know what other ways that I can help and and what other messages there are, but one thing that I am so struck by is how deep the resentment runs and the suffering, for example, um, a few days ago, um, somebody said to me it was a man, and he said that he's you know thirty years later he is still suffering with the resentment toward his alcoholic parent. He just can't let it go. And he listed off all of the ways that it's still eating him up alive despite all of the different kinds of treatment that he's had. This is many, many, many years later. And then I spoke to another uh, man whose mother, who was not the alcoholic, his father was, but his mother is on her deathbed. And he's sitting with her in the hospital filled with such resentment toward her because she never protected him from his father. And he's saying, I'm so full of resentment and my mother's dying and I want to resolve it before she dies. And he feels that he's got a few days to do this. 
And I was just so struck by the level of resentment. It's just, uh, it's just so painful. And um, life is short. So right. that's why w- when I started writing, I thought, you know, I, you know, well, of course, I think I got to fix this, you know, but there's got to be a way to sort of knock this loose. And what I've done in my life, uh, because like I said, my, I mean, my mother was a battered woman. I had the uh, ambulance and police and my, constantly, constantly. And, um, and yet today, I really have a, I have a lovely relationship with my dad. And one of the things that helped me the most was, first of all, I had this little voice inside of me that said, keep the door open just a tiny bit and see what happens. And I allowed it. I, I allowed the relationship to grow. Uh, I, I didn't resist it even though it was very uncomfortable. And the other thing is that I did everything I could to humanize my father and to learn about his experience and what could have made him into the person that he was. And I liken that into, I liken that to looking through a lens of a camera at something up close so that it's filling the whole frame and you don't see anything else. And that's sort of us living in a, a vacuum. All we see is our own experience, how it affects us. But if we take a few steps back or even a few more steps back and we let more into the lens, we have more information. And what happened for me was as I learned about my grandparents and my great-grandparents and my father's life story, I thought, wow, that poor guy. You know, and I really could understand why he may turn to alcohol. I really did understand it. Not that we're not all accountable for our actions. We are. We're all accountable for our actions. But there's this other side of it where I think it's very healthy to recognize that our parents come from somewhere too. And uh, so I hear hear the music. (laughs) So, well, why don't we take a break right here and we'll be right back. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and today we're talking uh, about how to heal and break your family's cycle of addictive behaviors with Lisa Sue Woltitz. And, you know, I'm just so excited to hear you say this and um, about the fact that that people move on and this isn't meant to be your identity and and some illness that you carry with you that, that, you know, People who survive these families have survival skills, and they are resilient, and there are a lot of very successful people who are adult children of alcoholics, and and I don't think that gets talked about enough. When I went to nursing school, I was told that nurses have the highest rate of alcoholic fathers than any other profession. Mm -hmm. So you can make something good out of something not so good. That's right. And we're also great in a crisis, which is why so many people go into these helping professions. I mean, as on a day-to-day basis, it's sort of a mess. But in a crisis, you don't want anybody else by your side. And, right. and I think for me, and, and um, maybe for you too, you know, the crisis mode, I, I mentioned this in the book, I call it the, the comfort zone of tension, where... Not that it's healthy necessarily, but because we grew up with so much tension and stress, that's, that's our comfort zone. That's, um, that's a place where we can function very well. And I'm sure we all know people who um, leave a, a... If you have six months to do a project, you'll do it all in the very last you know, three days and you'll get an A on it. Because that's when our juices start really flowing and that's when we get focused and everything kind of kicks in at once is in that stress mode. And there's this kind of calm that goes along with it where we can think through that. So it's very interesting you say that because there are so many adult children in these topic professions and they do a great job. So, you know, we're lucky for that. So what are the ways people can break their family cycle of addictive behaviors? What can people do? Well, one thing that we talked about is how to widen that lens um, and try to look at that other person's experience. But if we, if we back it up all the way to the beginning, and what I've learned in my own recovery is that 
if I'm becoming the healthiest person I can be, everything sort of flows from there. I'm a better mother, I'm a better daughter, I'm a better sister, I'm a better employee. So the first thing I have to do is really get into a place where I'm ready to take a good, honest look at myself. I'm not talking about beating myself up, but just to take a good, honest look at what my addiction issues might be, um, how I'm getting in my own way, and what I would like to have better in my life, and what's my part in resolving the problem even if it has to do with my relationships with um, my father or anybody who's ever hurt me. What is it that I can do? Not that it's my fault necessarily, but what can I do toward that end? Um, I'll give you another example. I have a a family member who uh, sued me at one point and sued me, sued me over something that it was their, their perception of events and obviously not mine, and it was, um, this took a few years to play out, it was, it was a nightmare, and uh, ultimately the suit was lost and dropped because there was no basis for it, and again, here's a situation where this is, this is the sort of things that families are forever broken over, and again, I could have very well said, well, you know, you're dead to me, we're all, we're all done here. Um, and, and again, I had that voice that said, you know what, whatever caused that person to do that, they, they're coming from their reality too. So what did I do? Not that I did what I was accused of, but what did I do that might've caused that person to feel that way that may have put them on the defensive? How could I have communicated better and try to see what it was that, in my behavior uh, that I could change, um, there's got to be something. Um, and again, I just came to a place where I decided, you know, I'm not willing to have a broken family over this. I'm going to reach out. And I did. I just sent uh, an email that said, you know, hope you're doing well or just something short. And little by little, the whole relationship opened up again where we've even been able to talk you know, we don't go into it too heavily because we don't want to push all the old buttons. But we come to a place where we've relearned how to have a relationship together that works. And obviously, the old relationship didn't work. So I think, first of all, we have to look at ourselves and really get a handle on our own addictions. And then we need to have the willingness to really kind of dig deep and... Um, and be willing to let go of all that anger. And, and P.S. about depression, um, and this is, this is something that we've, I think we've all heard, is that depression is the other side of anger. So if we're holding on to all that resentment and anger, it, you know, it's going to cause us mo- very likely to, to be depressed about it. And if we can release that, it's not only good for our physical health, but it's good for our emotional health, our spiritual health, and relationships all the way around. 
You are so right. I can't tell you how many people suffer from so many different types of physical ailments as a result of their depression or their anger. And, you know, anger doesn't, and resentments only hurt the person who has resentment. It doesn't hurt the person who you're resentful toward. Half the time, they don't even know it. That's right. That's that old saying about um, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Right. And, and not only that, but I have children, and my children are at, of an age where they observe everything I do and say, and they will inherit the relationships that I have in my family. So if I don't have a relationship with my father, they're not going to have one either. And if I'm going to resent my family member that sued me, for example, they're going to have that same resentment too. They're going to take on what's going on in, in the home, in the, in the environment that I am creating for them. And I've made, I've passed down a lot of what I grew up with to them, a lot of that behavior that's been passed down through the generations of my family. And, um, you know, it's, and it's not just the, the body chemistry that we mentioned before. It's, behavior from my great-grandparents' generation that got passed down to my grandparents and their addictions and all the behavior in the family and all that sort of braided together all the way down. And I feel that the the biggest thing that we can do to, to help break this cycle is to recognize that even if we don't value ourselves, we still dramatically affect the lives of people that love us and that we love and that we can be the catalyst of enormous change in our family. So this is the legacy that we have. You know, what do we want it to be? Do we want to pass down that legacy of brokenness and anger and resentment? Or do we want to pass down the legacy of healing and hope and health, etc.? So... Well, I think, I think oftentimes um, these maladaptive um, coping skills get pathologized into illnesses when reality is, is just what you've been taught isn't very effective and you need to learn something new. It's not about being ill. It just means about being poorly informed or poorly trained, for lack of better reason, words. Yeah, I, I would really agree with that. I would really agree with that. And there's also a lot of fear around this kind of change. But what I started seeing, for example, with my own kids, is that if I didn't wake up and smell the coffee, that I was going to continue teaching them stuff that was going to hurt them in their lives. Whether it was about, um, for example, the whole uh, comfort zone of, of tension and crisis, I, I parented, I have, my kids are two generations. I have two older kids there in their, their 20s, and then I have a 12-year-old because I've been married twice. And one thing that I noticed with my older kids was that I did not address problems until the point of crisis, where a parent, a healthier parent, you know, from a healthier upbringing, would have lowered the gauntlet or, you know, at a much yeah. earlier stage, 
I would let things go to the point of crisis. That's not a legacy I want to pass down. And luckily, I got a chance to do it again. Now I have this 12-year-old, this 12-year-old, the poor kid doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> so, <laughs> but we pass it all down. We really do pass right. it all down. And I, I don't think people understand how addictive uh, anger and rage can be as well. And we'll talk about that right after this last commercial break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Transformational healing includes energy medicine as well as hands-on healing. Tune in every week to Transformational Healing with Dr. Bonnie Morrow. If you want to know more about the business and science of energy fields, chakras, and the medical and spiritual community, Join our expert guests as we work together to bring you closer to your personal health vision. Transformational Healing is heard live every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to our show today. Uh, Lisa, can you let folks know how to obtain your book or how to contact you? Oh, sure. Um, Thanks. Well, um, Unwelcome Inheritance is now, it's on Amazon, it's out in all the stores, Um, and we have a website, which is www.drjan.com, and that's all my, my mom's work and, and mine up there too. And we're on Facebook under uh, Adult Children of Alcoholics and there's a page for Unwelcome Inheritance too. We're, we're all over. And, and if anybody would like to send me a message through any of those, um, you know, I, I promise that I will write you back. Um, before we then went to break, we were talking about anger and rage and I was just wondering um, yeah. if you would comment about that. Okay, well, I have a couple of thoughts that came to mind, and one is that, um, and I know, again, this is a common experience, that there's a fear of confrontation, and um, and that has a lot to do with anger, because uh, in many of our homes, there's 
that, you know, anger is, it goes from zero to somebody's going into the hospital and really not much in between. So anger is rage. Anger is not something that we can talk about in any sort of productive way. And so that's a problem. And the whole idea of confrontation, you know, that carries over into things that are pretty normal. For example, I had a, a man I spoke to the other day and he said um, he had a problem at work and he had an enormous amount of trouble standing up for himself. And it, it turned out that he, he was afraid of confrontation. But it's not really confrontation. It's just a conversation. And because we don't think very highly of ourselves, maybe we don't think we have a right to a voice, um, but it's, it's these extremes that we think that the emotion of anger really is rage. And if you grew up in a household full of rage, that can be pretty scary. It's an emotion that a lot of us don't want anything to do with. It's the, and, and so that's where the depressive part of it comes into that's why it's so, it's so healthy to work it out of our system. And, and to understand that anger is a normal feeling, but rage is something that, that really lights up your brain. And so for a lot of folks, that, that's a, a stage of incite, excitement. It feels powerful when you feel rage. Uh, resentment mm-hmm. can help fuel that part of your brain that lights up. And that for some folks, that's, that's what you learned. You, you learned to get rageful and then to resent. And, and that can be unlearned. And for a lot of folks, they unlearn it in, by going to 12-step meetings and learning about resentments. But, you know, that sometimes is family of origin work that you have to do as much as it is the work of the 12 steps. Yes. Yes, because as we were just saying, it's not just what I'm angry about because of what happened to me, it's this sort of culture of anger that's gotten passed down through the generations of my family, and that's our approach to things. We're just a family of yellers, or we're just very high-strung. Um, one thing that really helped me is working out in the gym because I had all, all this anger bottled up, and I really felt like... Um, you know, anger is energy, and it's trapped inside of us, and I really felt that working it out in the gym. In fact, a, a, a woman told me that every hour she spends in the gym, she feels like she releases an hour of the anger that she's been bottling up. So that's another suggestion, because, again, there is that whole biochemical, you know, that whole body chemistry that, um, that we add to without even knowing it. And so another thing we can do is to be careful about what we're putting into our bodies because if we have this very highly allergic body chemistry and we are setting it off, that will play into our emotions as, as well. So there's a lot, earlier, lot uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry? Uh, you had mentioned earlier about um, support groups for adult children of alcoholics. Could you say a little bit more about that? And if people wanted to find a group, what's the best way to do it? Well, here's here's the problem. There there are I I don't know any groups that um, are not ongoing that do not view this from the disease model. So what I would suggest is 
um, you know, to to take a look at the books and to maybe look. I I'm a big fan of Al-Anon. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but I am. Um, I find it to be say uh, that. <laughs> I find it to be very empowering. I I don't really know what the training is these days, but if if somebody's interested in therapy, I would really make sure that this is a person that is trained to specialize in working with adult children of alcoholics because if it's somebody that doesn't understand this lack of a database that we talk about, then they may have expectations that we can't fill. Um, for example, you know, they may ask you how you feel about something and since you want to please them, you'll try to figure out what it is you're supposed to say instead of what you feel. And for many of us, we don't know what we feel. That's part of our problem is that we're trying to find ourselves. So we really need to find people that have a good background in this. I would I would ask Hazelton is a great resource if you go to Hazelton online. Um, and Health Communications also, um, they have a lot of educational programs going on. So they, they may know good therapists. And I'm a big fan of the 12-step program. So, um, and I have... I have seen a lot of adult children in Al-Anon as well as parents of alcoholics and addicts, too. So that's where I would go. So I, I think it's important to just say one more time, because I, this is the first time I've ever heard it, is that people who are adult children of alcoholics are not diseased. They just right. lack a database, and they lack right. skills. That's right. And um, my mom would say, you know, this is a part of your history. It's, it's a part of your experience, but it's not a disease. And what I have found is that whatever our experience is, a, one really empowering thing to do when we're suffering with, somebody, with, with something is to help somebody with our experience. So there are children out there, there are even adults that we, that we all know, there are people out there that are suffering maybe more than we are that we can help. And this is not, it's just not something we're, it's, if we focus on our trauma for the rest of our lives, we're really not going to enjoy, a lot of life is going to go by that we could have enjoyed. Right. So... That's why we encourage to people to to live in the solution, and uh, not and not to focus on that past, you know, past the point of understanding our experience and doing what we need to do to make peace. And then every once in a while, my mom used to call it a tune-up. Every once in a while, if things come back up again, which they will in life, you know, she would tell her clients, "Come on back in for a tune-up." But uh, one sign of a good therapist, in my view, is, is a therapist whose who's mutual goal with their client is to help them fly, not to keep them in treatment forever. Right. 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 And that's what recovery is all about, is learning how to fly. That's right. Thank you so much for being our guest today. And um, 
I certainly uh, respect your your mom and her the work that she did and what a gift she gave to all of us. So so thank you as well, Lisa, for carrying thank it on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's really nice speaking with you today. It was nice speaking with you, and have a great week, everyone. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.